0: that uh, is on everybody's mind. Amen. Um, That people are always looking for joy. Our world is hungry for joy. Uh, Have you noticed uh, around the stores, those of you who are out and going out to stores, that you see Christmas decorations out way early? Have you ever wondered like why that was? It's because we've been struggling as a nation and as a world and people are like needing something to look forward to, right? We are searching for joy, and uh, there is a deep need of it. Um, in fact, I don't know if this is related to the pandemic or not, but I started getting the Sunday comics um, delivered to my house for free. And I don't know if that's because they wanted to spread joy or because they wanted to put ads in there and they just figured they'd send it to my house anyways. But I was looking, actually, and my kids, we looked at the comics probably for the first time in uh, 100 years, and, and my kids were reading the comics. And, and uh, I want to show you this, this one picture from a comic named Dustin related to joy. This is a guy at a bar, right? And at the bar, he's saying, no more peanuts? And the guy's like, we're all out. And then the next question he asked him, he says, Well what do you do to keep your customers drinking? And he says, I just turn on the news. And uh <laughs> and so our world has certainly been that way, right? Uh is that we, we are um, struggling just from watching the news, and people are looking for joy. We were created for joy, and as believers, God has promised to give us a joy that can't be taken away, a joy that is indeed indestructible. In fact, they tried to destroy our joy over 2,000 years ago on a cross, and that joy rose right out of the grave, amen? And so we have this indestructible joy As believers. But a lot of times we don't understand what true joy is. We kind of get some misconceptions about what joy is. And so we need to help that as well. Last week, um, my wife and uh, I performed a very important task at our house, which was cleaning the garage. And, um, And I was, I don't do so good with cleaning out the garage. I have some little emotional attachment issues to things. Uh, things from high school that I, I still think I can wear and um and you know all those sorts of things i 'm just emotional attachments. anybody else have those to things and you know and uh, so there's this lady who has this show on Netflix, and I kind of reference it to my wife. Her name is Marie Kondo. she has this show called tidying up and um, and she asks this question as people like go through their clothes right, go through their closets, and she 'll have like dump all the stuff that 's in your closet, all the stuff that 's in your house into one place. And then she'll ask you to pick up each item and say, does this bring you joy? And, and if you say no, then she's like, get rid of it, right? And, uh, you know, uh, I had to, it's a good minimalist thing to, to work through, right? I haven't worn this in six months. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to wear it, right? Don't say, wait. And so she's just so good with that. And so she has this idea of, um, you know, does it spark joy? That's a great philosophy and a great practice for getting rid of your junk, amen? OK, that's great. And, and I encourage you to use that philosophy and, and practice it in that arena. But that's a really poor philosophy for life, right? Does it spark joy? Because you might roll over and, 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 and wake up one day and look at your dog and say, this dog is not bringing me joy. This dog is not bringing me very much joy. You are out of here. Get rid of it. You might roll over one day and look at your spouse and say, you haven't brought me joy in a long time. I'm getting rid of you. So this is a poor life philosophy. It's good for clutter and minimalist stuff, but it is bad for life. You you might look at your family or your kids and say, you are not bringing me joy. I am done with you. And and that's because we have this wrong idea or conception of joy. Amen. And so we have to reframe joy. We have to reframe joy from a kingdom mentality, reframe joy from a biblical perspective, reframe joy from a Christian perspective perspective. All the kids in here, I see you guys. You guys are ready for joy uh, when this stuff comes out, right? Right? My kids are counting down the days, not till Christmas, but to Halloween, okay? One of my children, who will remain nameless to protect the guilty, um, asks Alexa every single day, how many days, not until Christmas, not the usual countdown, how many days until Halloween? And, uh, and every day I get a report, Dad, 15 more days until Halloween. And, uh, and, and because we're thinking joy will come from candy or whatever, but that's not where joy comes from. And so we have to understand what is true joy and get a better grasp on that. And so joy doesn't mean you have to walk around with a smile on every day. Some of those people who walk around with a, a, a persistent smile are the least joyful people. And they are indeed wearing a mask, but a different kind of mask. And uh, joy doesn't mean that you can never be angry. Joy doesn't mean you can never be discouraged or sad or depressed. Joy is not driven by your emotions. Joy is also not driven by your situation. A lot of times we confuse joy with happiness. One preacher, I believe, told me, he said, happiness, right, depends on what's happening. If what's happening around you is good, then you feel Happy. That's different though than joy because joy for the Christian is not circumstantial. Because, like, a lot of us would say, Pastor, I would be joyful if I fill in the blank, right? I would be joyful when the pandemic ends and we can all get rid of mass and go back to normal, right? Many of us have said that, right? Uh, Pastor, I'd be joyful if I met someone that I could get married to. I would be joyful if I was finally done with my schoolwork. If I didn't have to do another lick of school. Ever again, I would be joyful. I, I would be joyful if um sports were back on TV, and many of the men and some of the women were rejoicing that sports are back, and some are rejoicing that the Lakers won the championship and the NBA was back, you know. Uh, but but that's joy in the wrong idea. That is again back to happiness. It relates to our circumstances, and so that's not the kind of joy that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about an indestructible joy. It's deeper than a feeling where you can be authentic even though you're going through hard times and still have joy. And really what we're gonna see as we move through this book of Philippians, and again, I wanna encourage you to turn there if you haven't, is um, that we're gonna see that joy is related to how we view God. Our view of God and how we see him is gonna be totally connected to our joy. The, The book of Philippians was written by a guy named Paul and if you know anything about Paul, he was a missionary that traveled all around the world, and, um, and there was this place called Philippi, and Philippi is, is technically in Greek, but it's right on the border of what would be today Greece and Bulgaria, and it's actually at the crossroads of where Europe meets Asia. And so you have this conflicting uh, different uh, cultures coming you know, in the world here, because of course the gospel was birthed in the Middle East, and uh, more Asiatic sort of people. And and now it's moved into Europe. This is one of the first churches in Europe. Because again, the gospel was, you know, started in the Middle East and all the churches were there in the Middle East at first in in what we would call uh, parts of Asia. And so, but now it has moved across. Paul had this call, it's called the Macedonian call. They called Greece in that area Macedonia back in those days. And so uh, he was about to go someplace different and he had this vision from God And and he had a picture of a man calling for him for the gospel, and so Paul went to this place called Philippi. It was named after one of the Roman emperors, Philip, and um, and it was this crossroads town right where the uh, one of the main trade routes entered because there were mountains. If you are aware of geography, and all of you love geography, right? Uh, Kids love geography, uh, adults love geography. Uh, What separates Europe from Asia is mountain ranges, so it's very difficult just to travel from one spot to another. And so you have to find the valley passes. And Philippi was located in one of those valley passes, which is thus why the Romans put a uh, city there. And so he's going to write to these Philippians, and he's going to instruct them. And you're going to see the word joy occur somewhere between 12 and 16 times uh, throughout this four little chapters. And so I'd encourage you this week to read. You can read it all in one sitting. Uh, It is uh, an an amazing book. And so he's going to write to these believers. And so we're just going to look at two verses today, just two, but I have five points. So uh, if you didn't get a snack already and some water, just head to the back, you know, just go ahead and have lunch. And uh, I'm just kidding. Hopefully it won't uh, take too long. But let's look at the first couple verses. I'll give you the first point. You can write this down. Joy is found in the right identity. Joy is found in the right identity. What Paul is going to do here is remind the Philippians and remind himself of their true identity. If we could go back a week just for some refresher, right, uh, from election infection and, and how to avoid that, my identity is not first a Republican. My identity is not first a Democrat. My, my identity is first not even as an American. My, my first and primary identity is as a follower of Christ. I'm a child of God before I'm a parent. I'm a child of God. Before I'm a husband, I'm a child of God. And he's going to say, listen, your joy is going to be connected to determining your right identity. Because what happens is we love to place our identity in all kinds of other things, right? If I do well in school, then I feel good. Then I can have joy. If my friends and my neighbors accept me, if I get married and I feel like uh, I have a spouse that will love me, then I have this identity that I can finally feel secure in. But all those things ultimately will fail us, won't they? We have to find our true identity in all these things uh, that are fleeting. And so he's going to tell them, right? Look at verse one with me. It says this Paul and Timothy. And so Paul was always traveling with companions because he did life in community. He was all about group life. Paul and Timothy. And then he says this servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, or another word, would be bishops or elders and Deacons, and so we typically love to just skip over the first parts of a letter, right? Just like sometimes when you're reading the Bible and, and you see the, the the list of names, right, so and so begat, so and so begat, so and so by the fourth begat, you're like, all right, next page, um, you know, but there is uh, all of God's word is profitable for instruction and teaching and doctrine, and so before we skip over the greeting here, let's just look at it and notice what he says their identity is. He says, "My identity is as a servant of Christ Jesus." Sir, ma'am, do you want joy? Become a servant of Christ Jesus. Amen? See, see, Paul used to be a guy who killed joyful Christians. Before he became a Christian, he was attacking. He was attacking these joyful Christians. He hated their joy. And then he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. He had this personal meeting with the risen Jesus. And then he became a joyful Christian. Christian. And so if you want joy, become a servant of Jesus Christ. I, I, I bet I bet some of Paul's friends would say, Paul, what are you doing, man? What are you doing now that you're a Christian? You're in trouble. In fact, um, you may know this, you may not know this, but this letter, the letter to the Philippians was actually written in jail. Paul was not writing from a spa. Paul is not writing from, from a nice comfy lounge chair where he lazy boy and just kind of kick his feet up and be like, let me just write you this book on joy. He's writing a book on joy from a jail cell, a first century jail cell, which is not pretty, which is dank, rat infested, you know, chains, no soft bed, no cable, no three squares a day, right? This is a first century jail, not a spa, not getting a nice comfy massage in Hawaii. He is telling us about true joy in any circumstance because it's rooted in his identity. I am a servant of Christ. This is my indestructible joy. They can put me in jail, but they can't take away my identity. And so if you want joy, be a servant of Jesus Christ. And so his friends might say, Paul, before you you became a Christian, you weren't in jail. Man, you should give up this stuff. And how many know that when you become a Christian, sometimes Satan just begins to hammer you with difficulties and doubts and trials. Or sometimes when you want to step up in your faith and you really start getting serious about reading the scriptures, you get serious about your faith at work or at school, you get serious about your faith and, um, and Satan will just come and hammer you, right? Because he's trying to get you off track. Because he knows what happens when believers continue to represent Jesus well. And so he wants to get us off track. And so our identity needs to be that we are a servant of Christ. And Paul would answer his friends. No, no, no. I wasn't in jail before. But let me tell you what, I was empty and I had no joy. In fact, later on in this book, he would go on to tell them that this he says, I had all these things. I had the riches. I had the right pedigree in 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 uh, in theology because I was training To be a rabbi, I came from the right family. I had it all. And what he's going to say later is this. And all of that, all the riches I had, all the stuff that I had, it is now but trash compared to the riches of knowing Christ Jesus. He doesn't actually say trash. He says dung. All the stuff the world could offer me is like dung. And all the the kids can ask their parents what dung is after church, and, and you can give them a good science lesson. Uh, afterwards. And so it's like dumb. It's like trash. It is garbage compared to knowing Christ. I have this joy that is indestructible. So I may be in jail, but I am still a servant of Jesus Christ. You may be stuck at your house. You may have loved ones stuck at their house, but they can still be a servant of Jesus Christ. You may feel stuck at your job, but you are still a servant of Jesus Christ. You may feel stuck with your family, but you are still a servant of Jesus Christ. You may feel stuck in school, but you are still a servant of Jesus Christ. Also notice the other S word there. He doesn't just say servants of Jesus Christ. He says to all the saints, reach over, touch your neighbor. No, don't touch him. You're not allowed to touch people in COVID. Just wave at him and air hug him and say, did you know you're a saint? Did you know you're a saint? You may have to find somebody behind you. You can mouth it to them through your mask so they can't read your lips anyways. But you know, you can just be like, did you know you're a saint? Yes. see, typically in church and, and in religion in general, we are taught that saints are the really holy people. Saints are a different class of people. Saints are the people that have maybe done some miracles or have, have served in the church in some way. No, see, the Bible says to all the saints, it calls every Christian a saint. My pastor, Pastor Lee, used to say, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. <laughs> and, um... And he used to say, before I was a Christian, I was an ain't. I wasn't, I ain't nothing good. Uh, Ain't all kinds of bad grammar, but good theology. I was an ain't. But now because of Christ, only because of Christ, because of the blood of Christ, he has called us saints. That's my identity. I can't be taken away from me. I'm a child of God, no matter where I am or, or what is happening to me. First, joy is found in the right identity. You can write that down. Joy is found in the right identity. Secondly, Number two is this. Joy is found in the right location. Joy is found in the right location, but not the kind of location you're thinking of. And we'll talk about that in a second. You've got to be in the right location. He's going to let the Philippians know their primary location. He let them know their primary identity. Now he's going to let them know their primary location. Again, back of the text, if you'll look with me in verse one and two. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ, who are at Philippi. How many of you need to know and be reminded that no matter where you are in the world, your primary location, because of what Jesus has done, if you are a Christian, you are in Christ. Amen? Even though you are at Philippi you are in Christ. I'm, I'm hidden in him. I'm protected in him. I am covered by him. He is my shield and my defender. So no matter where I am, I am in Christ. When you are at the Kroger, you might be at Kroger, but you are still in Christ. When you're at the 7-Eleven, you are still in Christ. When you are at your home, with, with you might be in an apartment with 10 people. You are still in Christ. You might be At your home by yourself, you are still in Christ. Amen? No matter where you are, you are in Christ, and this is your primary location. And this should bring us joy because, man, we're protected. Our eternal destiny is set because we are in Christ, and that can't be taken away from us. That is a reason for joy. Amen? And so, joy comes from knowing number one, uh, our right identity, number two, our right location, and then number three, also. Our right vision. Joy is found in having the right vision. Did you know you got to have 20 20 vision to have joy? It just eliminated most of us because you're like, I know, Pastor, because this fog in my glasses is stealing my joy. Well, don't let it steal your joy. It's a different kind of vision. And this is primarily what we're talking about our vision of God. Our joy is connected to how we see God and how we are connected to God and having the right vision of Him. Is what brings us joy. Look again at the text. What he's going to say here. He's going to say in verse two. He's going to say, "Grace and peace, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." Now, again, this is more than just a a customary letter-writing introduction. This is something very different than a custom. Uh, letter-writing introduction He wants the Philippians to know, listen, what I want you to know about God first is this. He is a God of grace and peace. He is a God of grace and peace. You, what you need to know about God, what you think about God is, is important. If if You need to know He is a God of grace and peace. Can I just give you a way to start your morning? It's been helping me out. I've been doing it now uh, for several mornings. Can you just start your day? What would happen if you just started your day with grace and peace? Amen. What if you rolled over in the bed and instead of aches and pains, you just say, Lord, I have your grace and peace. Amen. What if you rolled over in the bed and for those who are married and your spouse was there and you didn't say, oh, no, you again, you said spouse husband wife grace and peace amen for those who are parents and you're waking up in the morning and kids are up before you and you're struggling to get ahead of them and instead of going ah another day with kids ah another day of homeschooling or virtual schooling or ah I got to make their lunches to get them out the door to get to a school socially distant and mask and I just don't feel like I'm ready ah but instead you just said children grace and peace. Amen. What if before you went to work, it was grace? God, I just, I just declare over myself grace and peace. He's not going through a religious formality here. He is saying, I want you to be aware of this God that you serve as a God of grace and peace. There was a, a famous old preacher, A.W. Tozier. I have a quote I want to share with you from Tozer. Uh, I, I love his writings. He says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think about God, sir, or ma'am, is the most important thing about you. And this is connected to your joy. Because if you think God is this way or that way, it's going to impact you. If you think God is a a grumpy old man ready to smash you from heaven, you're not going to have very much joy. If you think God is just, uh, you know, uh, a lazy guy in heaven who just lets you kind of go and do whatever you want, you're not going to have very much joy. You need to have an accurate picture of God of grace and peace. He continues with this quote. He says, this is the most telling fact about any man or woman, not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. A lot of us say, I know God is a God of grace and peace. But in your mind, you really operate like God is is ready to smash you. You really operate like God is a killjoy. And so you you say, yes, God is all this stuff, but you live your life on Monday uh, and Tuesday and Wednesday like God offers no true joy. And you go to find joy in all these other things. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so Paul wants us to know this is a God of grace and peace. So let's just check out those words here. Again, most uh, first century writers would begin with a Greek word that was very similar to what Paul used. Let's go back one slide there, Joey, to the grace and peace verse there. Uh, The the Greek word for uh, grace is charis, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Usually first century letter writers would begin with a similar word, C-H-A-R-I-N. Paul switched the N for an S. Usually they would begin with Karen, not Karen from the internet memes, but Karen, the Greek word for greetings. And so typically they would begin greetings, but Paul begins grace and peace. Karis. Karis. How many of you know the trouble or the blessing of changing one word if you have ever had autocorrect when you have text messages with somebody? And you sent them something that you did not intend to send them. Amen. This happened to me too. And so, uh, so one letter is powerful. And here is the power of grace when He changes just this one letter and gives us charis. Grace is this. You may have heard the old acronym G R A C E, right? Which is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches. At Christ's expense. The technical definition, as you look in in a Greek lexicon, says this that which affords joy. So we we rarely ever connect grace and joy, but grace is something that, that affords us joy or pleasure. These are all the Greek roots of it joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, or even our word charm, loveliness, or favor. In fact, we would say that it is unmerited favor from God. Unmerited means you and I didn't deserve it. Grace is a little different than mercy, and I say this frequently, and you may be tired of me saying it, but, but, but grace is getting a gift you don't deserve, right? Where mercy is not getting something you do deserve. The difference there, grace means you get a gift that you didn't deserve. I love the very theologically deep movie of Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, you know, and now it's having a revival with Cobra Kai, and so um, shout out to all the Cobra Kai folks. Um, but when um, you know the Cobra Kai message is no mercy, don't show him any mercy, finish him, no mercy. And then when Mr. Miyagi has the Cobra Kai leader there in the parking lot, and um, and he has them like this, ready to punch them, right? And they're like, yeah, finish him, Mr. Miyagi, you know, no mercy. Mr. Miyagi goes, and he stops, and he just grabs his nose and goes, honk. And um, that was a picture of mercy. He did deserve a punch in the face, but he didn't give him what he did deserve. So that's mercy. Mercy is we deserve the full wrath of God. We deserve that as sinners. We have disobeyed and, and flaunted God and pushed him aside and we deserve his wrath because we have spit in his face. We have committed atrocities against him. But grace is different. That's a gift. It's a gift that we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. It is connected to joy. And so he says, listen, I want you to know that God is a God who gives gifts even though you don't deserve it. And it is free. It is free doesn't matter if you tried to earn it or you tried to pay for it. Reminds me of the story. I heard about two pastors who went to Atlanta and one of the pastors, they were at a pastor's conference or something like that. One of the pastors uh, was from the North. He was not from the South, never been to the South before. And they went to breakfast before they went to their conference. And the guy ordered his breakfast. And then there was a side of mushy white stuff on his plate. And he began touching it with a spoon or a fork. And he said, what is this Mushy white stuff. So finally he got the attention of the server and he he said, ma'am, excuse me, what is this mushy white stuff? And she said in her very southern accent, oh, baby, that's just grits. And um, and he said, well, listen, I didn't order it. And I'm not going to pay for it. And she said, oh, honey, that's all right. You're in the south now. You don't order it and you don't have to pay for it. You just get it. And he was kind of like, I don't know what to do with this mushy stuff. But listen to me, that's kind of like grace, grits and grace. Listen, you didn't order grace and you don't have to pay for it. You are just going to get grace. God is going to supply it. Amen. And listen, listen, he paid for it because someone had to pay for the grits and someone had to pay for the grace. God sent his son to pay for the gift that we received. Someone did have to pay the bill. You and I didn't pay for it. Jesus paid for it. Amen. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it, but it is free. You didn't even order it. God is going to provide it, whether you like it or not, or you want it or not. God is offering his grace to all human beings everywhere. But the question is, are we living in that grace? Are we living in that peace? The Greek word for peace is irene, and it means this, tranquility, harmony, security, and safety. It means prosperity, But actually, the root word comes from a Greek word that means this, to join. You see, peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace isn't, oh, everything's taken care of. There are no problems and I'm good. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of all the drama and the chaos. Because I have been joined back to him. And I know my relationship with him is secure. And so there may be storms around me, but I have peace in the midst of the difficulty And so, what you think about God in your right vision, do you believe God is a God of grace and peace? Because a lot of us struggle with that, right? Paul knows our human tendency. He knows our struggle to not think of God as a God of grace and peace, but to think of him as someone who's far off or someone who doesn't care. And we think these things. We would never say them, but we tend to think them in our hearts. And so here's the challenge God is a God of grace and peace. But often, how often are our lives marked by this grace and peace? Amen. Grace and peace is always coming. It's always being provided. But are we identified as living in that grace and peace? I heard someone give this image. Could you imagine someone in a grocery store, locked in a grocery store, and yet they died of starvation? They are surrounded by everything they need. All of their sustenance was provided, but they never took it in. That would be foolish, right? But how many Christians and how many people throughout our world today live, God has provided richly grace and peace? How often do we take it or are we spiritually starving? Amen. Because we don't receive the grace and peace. I think a couple of reasons we don't receive all that God is providing us. Number one is this, probably because of shame and failure, right? A lot of us feel like, you know what, pastor? If you knew what I did, you would know I'm not a person who deserves grace. If you only knew the true me, I don't deserve it because of what I've done. You're starving in a grocery store. God is providing grace and peace to you no matter what you've done. Read the Bible and look at the list of failures and join the rest of us here at Plaza. The rest of us, no good. We are filled with shame and failure. Other people, though, oh, no, we're, we're different. Where some people think I don't deserve grace, some other people, it's pride. You think you don't need grace. You think you're a pretty good person. Pastor, I'm doing fine on my own. You should be talking to my neighbor. You should be talking to those other people because I pay my tithes. I'm a good citizen. Uh, I I drive the speed limit. I am a good person. And you think you have no need of grace. You have a lack of brokenness, which the Bible declares all of us to have. Sir or ma'am, can you watch out for that? Pride, because it will make you someone who spiritually starves. A pride will keep you spiritually starving. Others, though, we suffer from legalism. We think we have to earn it. Again, we think of God as a God of grace and peace, but we still believe because of the ways we've been brought up, because of the ways we've been raised, I have to work for it. And so God, if, if I'm not at church, God, if I'm not serving, if I don't do this, I know you'll be upset with me. And when you miss church or not able to tithe or not able to do something for someone else, you feel so guilty. There is this, I must earn it. I need to do first and then God will be pleased with me. Instead of living in the free grace that God gave to you. And it's out of that that you do and give and serve. So watch out for legalism because God has already given it. Don't spiritually starve. So, number three is this you've got to have the right vision. This is grace. And peace. Number four, we'll move on. Number four, joy is found in the right position. The right position. You've got to be in the right position. You have to be standing exactly facing Mecca and pray towards Mecca. If you get that wrong, you won't get the grace and peace. Is that what I mean? No, there is a different type of position I'm talking about here that really is related to your posture. We must position ourselves to receive This grace and peace that God has so richly provided. Look again with me at verse two. He says, Grace to you. Grace to you. Look over at your neighbor and tell him, Grace to you. Grace to you, sir. Grace to you. You get some too. It's better than Oprah. You get a card. You get a card. You get grace. Grace to you. But here's the deal: we have to be ready to receive it. We have to be in the position. Listen to me now. We have to be in the right position to receive it. And a lot of us don't get in the position to receive God's grace. Um, I think of it this way. Maybe this will help all of us. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, we would sometimes go to baseball games. Uh, We would go to the Tides games. And then every summer, we were typically in New York. And my uncles always loved baseball. And one of my uncles was from out of town. So he always wanted to go to a Mets game at Shea Stadium. And every once in a while, we'd go to a Yankees game. And um, and so we would always go to baseball games, either here locally or in New York. And and I was always taught, my dad always taught, bring a glove to the game. And I thought, why bring a glove to the game? Well, because, he told me, they might hit a foul ball and you would be ready to catch that ball. And so once an idea like that gets in a kid's head, well, now all of a sudden you're paying attention. Because I think baseball is horrifically boring. Don't hate me. Don't send me nasty grams. I realize that may be more consequential than a political statement uh, from last week. Uh, but it's just boring for me to watch. And most sports are boring for me to watch. I got ADD. I'd rather just get up and play the sport myself than watch someone else do it. And so, but if I think that I might catch a ball, I'm actually watching every pitch. The guy's hitting it. I'm like, oh, he might hit a foul ball to us. We might get it. You know, when you're a kid, you think, I can get it. I can get it, you know. And, uh, and so the, you see them come and that sort of stuff. And especially when we're in New York, right? There was no way in a ham sandwich that we were ever going to catch a fly ball because, you know, at, at Shea Stadium, I mean, we're in the nosebleed section, right? You know, Tide Stadium, it was different. You can get some decent seats at Tides for a little bit of money. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I, we, we would catch some every once in a while. But, but even when you're in the nosebleeds at, um, at Shea Stadium, you're, you're thinking, I'll get one way up here. They'll hit me one, right? But see, the thing is, I was ready. I have another child who will remain nameless to protect the guilty. And actually, this is not necessarily a child's fear. I think it's a parenting failure. Um, although I think I, I told this person to be prepared. But either way, that's water under the bridge. This child went to a tithes game just the other year. And they were there with their friends and their family. And, um, and they were talking and, you know, getting food and not paying attention to the game. And all of a sudden, the ball was hit. <laughs> Crack! and it was a foul ball, and it was coming. And said child was not paying a lick of attention, and whack, hit him, thankfully, in their leg. Not in the head, because it could have been way worse. I think this person had a serious bruise uh, from that, but they were not ready to receive it, amen? I want you to know that God is always providing grace and peace and joy. The question is, sir or ma'am, are you ready to receive it? Because when you're in the position, we like to call it when I was coaching my kids sports, we like to call it the ready position, right? You can't be ready like this when you're on the field or on the court. Ready position is I'm ready. See, when you are ready and you believe that God is a God who gives out grace and peace, it's like saying, God, put it right here in the glove. God, I'm ready for it. Listen, when you start opening your Bible every day, getting the daily bread devotionals that we have in the back there, and you spend time in God's Word, it's like saying, God, put it right here. I'm ready to receive your grace. You're in the ready position. When you turn on the radio and you turn on some K-Love or BBN or whatever uh, uh, radio station you like or, or, or worship songs you like, and you get some worship songs, and you're in your car or in your house, and you just start worshiping, it's like saying, God, I'm ready to receive your grace and peace. Put it right here. See, some of us are saying, God, I believe this, but you don't ever get in the ready position. And so God has provided, you are sitting in the supermarket, surrounded by God's grace and peace and joy, and you never take it because you're not ready to receive it. And sometimes we blame God. God, why aren't you giving me this joy? Why am I doing this and that? And God is saying to you, I'm providing it, you're not receiving it. When you come to church or or for those who are watching online and you carve out that time in your day and say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to come be part of the gather body or I'm going to watch this online. I'm going to dedicate this part of my day to say, I'm focused on God. It's like saying, God, put it right here. I'm ready to receive it. Listen, so it's not nosebleed seats versus good seats. Doesn't matter how far away you are or how close you are. That's not what God is saying. Do you have a heart posture to receive the grace and the peace that God is offering? That's the question. Not did God provide it, but are you ready to receive it? Could I just declare and remind you that the grace of God will come your way? You don't have to be like me, waiting for the ball to come. It's gonna come your way. Listen, it doesn't matter if you have been a person who prays every day or you haven't prayed in years. The grace of God is still gonna come your way. It doesn't matter. Listen, if you're a person who's memorized the Bible or you can't even find your Bible, the grace of God is going to come your way. It doesn't matter if you come to church regularly or you haven't been in church in your life. The grace of God will still come your way, Amen. because this is a God who is a God of grace and peace, and he richly provides it. And so, again, the question is not did he provide it? It's did we receive it? Could I just declare over you today? Could could I ask you this week to declare over yourself? over your children, over your family, grace and peace. Parents who are parenting in COVID, trying to juggle work, uh, life, e-learning, COVID schooling, can you just say grace and peace? When you feel like you haven't done enough, grace and peace, right? Can I just declare over those who are lonely and discouraged because you can't get out and do the things you want to do? Can I just say over you grace and peace, right? You you feel depressed and you feel discouraged and you think, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be stronger than this. And you start to speak these negative things over yourself. Can you instead just speak grace and peace? Would you speak that over someone this week and declare over them grace and peace? Maybe some of you like me, right? You feel exhausted because you're working from sunup to sundown and you can't do one more thing but crawl in bed and just kind of fall asleep. But you know you have this to-do list of things you have to do, can you just declare grace and peace over you and receive that? So joy is is found in the right identity, that we're servants of Christ, that we are saints. It's found in the right location, that I'm in Christ. Then it's found in the right vision, that I know that this is a God of grace and peace who richly provides. And then finally, joy is found in the right person, the right person. See, this is not just a general grace and peace. This is not just a general religious joy. This is not just a general, hey, look, think positive. And if you think positive, you will get joy and grace and peace. No, this is not a generic religious. This is a very specific grace and peace. It's a very specific joy. And it's found only in one person. Look at what the text says, right? Again, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God are. Father, and the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, Jesus Christ. This is specific. The only way we get grace, the only way we become a a saint, uh, the only way we are in Christ is if we have said yes to Jesus, that we have started a personal relationship with him. It's not your sister's personal relationship. It's not your brother's. It's not your parents or your grandparents. It is your personal relationship. And have you started that personal relationship with God the Father? and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you hang around church all the time, and you've never stepped across the line and said yes to Jesus. Have you said yes to him? It starts with a personal relationship. We want to give you a moment to do that here. And um, in fact, I'd ask that we just take a few moments with heads bowed, with eyes closed, give um, some folks here some time to speak with the Lord, and our worship team can uh, begin to come back up. And just you sitting there. If you know you're not a person who has said yes to Jesus, who has started that personal relationship, you may have general religion. That's different. But you need to say yes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means boss, ruler, commander. If you know that's you and you're here today, I just want to invite you to join me in a prayer. Again, you may have been in church a billion times and you've got all the general religion but you don't experience the grace and peace of God in your own life, this is for you. So there are no magic words, but if God has been speaking to your heart through the Holy Spirit, may I just encourage you to repeat this prayer after me, just silently there, wherever you're sitting. You want to say something like this, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, I don't know you personally. Jesus, I don't know you personally, but I want to say yes today. But I want to say yes today. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you rose from the dead. And I want this for myself. I want this for myself. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to fill out a connection card and, and let us know. We don't want to embarrass you. We just want to help you grow in this relationship. And I want to pray for all of us now. Together. Believers, those new to the faith, those who are not believers yet. Father, I just ask God, your grace and peace would go with us and that every day we would walk in that grace and peace. We would walk in an indestructible joy that can't be taken. So, Father, I pray over myself and over every person in the sound of my voice. Grace and peace for all of our needs, for all of our exhaustion, for all of our depression, for all of our pain. Grace and peace. Fully supplied by you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. As we prepare to sing and worship, I want to remind you and encourage you. Grace is not just for you to be receiving. Amen. Grace is also for us to be giving right? And so this week, would you be a person who not just receives grace, but a person who gives it out? Christians are to be people of grace and peace and to be giving out grace and peace to your parents, giving out grace and peace to your neighbors, giving out grace and peace to all those you know. And so may you continue to be that person. Let's stand together. and This will be a time of worship. As you're standing, typically we would have folks here for prayer. We'll have some folks in the back for afterwards if you would like to receive prayer. We'd love to pray with you. We just don't want to do it super close and have loud music. Um, we want to keep folks safe. But if you need to come pray uh, here at the front of the stage, you may pray in your seat. There's a lot of ways you can do it. I want to encourage you again use your connection card to connect with us and uh, let's worship together.